Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Genesis Church. Hello to those of you that are tuning in with us online today. My name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel location, and we're really, really, really thankful to be celebrating Christmas with you, whether you're in the room or tuning in online. And isn't it nice to be inside of a warm building? I I literally, over the last few days, I've prayed, God, please just let our heater continue to work to get us to like Sunday or Monday, right? But I did learn a helpful trick. If you are in a room and it's cold and you need to get warm, go sit in the corner because the corners are 90 degrees. Thank you. Some little math joke for you. You're going to use it. You know you're going to use it. You're going to use it. All of you are like, that's so good. That's so good. Hey, uh, real quick, let's pray, and we're going to jump into God's Word together. Father, we are thankful to be together. Uh, We're thankful to be able to gather. We're thankful that it's warm in here. Thank you for allowing us to be together. Holy Spirit, right now, uh, would you tune our attention to the story of Christmas? For some of us, it's a very familiar story. Uh, For some of us, we we feel like we know all the details. Maybe for some of us, it's going to be brand new. But Holy Spirit, we pray right now uh, that you would come. Um, We need you. We need your help. Would you teach us through your word? Would you help us uh, to be reminded of the hope that's found in the story of Christmas? Or would you help us to grasp onto that hope uh, and, and to go and share that hope with the world around us? Jesus, we love you. And we ask all these prayers in your name. Amen. So it's the end of the year, right? And you know this, but everybody's compiling their best of list of 2022, right? So you've got the best news stories, the worst news stories, the best sports plays, the best songs of the year, and all of that's really, really great. But I learned, I read a BuzzFeed article the other day, and I learned that dictionary manufacturers all over the world in December, did you know this? They like to select their word of the year. And the reason they select these words of the year is because they feel like it summarizes the human condition best over the last 12 months. Now in this BuzzFeed article, they shared a few different words, but I'm just going to share two with you because I think, well, I think you'll see that how they apply to us. Now this first one is really interesting. The Oxford Dictionary, the folks at Oxford Dictionary, they selected the word, the word that best describes life over the last 12 months as God goblin mode. Goblin mode. And this is a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, sloppy, or greedy in a way that rejects all social norms or expectations. How many of you have ever heard this word before? Yeah, me neither. I got one hand in the back. I don't know who's picking this word or why, but when I look at the definition, I'm thinking, you know, I think that's me in high school and college. I'm pretty sure. My wife might even argue that I still live in goblin mode right now. But here's my challenge for you. Now the holidays are here. I want you to see if you can work this word into as many, as many holiday conversations as possible and report back. Let me know how it goes. All right, so you can do that. Now, I don't know how many of us relate to a word like goblin mode, but the folks at Collins Dictionary, they selected a word that I think relates to us all a little bit more. It's this word permacrisis. It's literally the word permanent and crisis mashed together into one. And this is how they defined it. An extended period, a period of instability and insecurity. Now, I want you to think about everything that we've experienced in our world over the last few years. Permacrisis feels like a pretty good definition, doesn't it? We've had a worldwide pandemic that we've all got to live through. There's been social instability, racial volatility, political insanity. There's wars raging all over the world. We have supply chain issues. There's outrageous inflation, and on top of that, the culture, an absolute disaster, right? There's a permacrisis everywhere, everywhere that we look, and sadly, a permacrisis brings with it some pretty heavy emotions, right, that tend to want to drag us down. We've been talking about these for the last few weeks, but when you live in a crisis state like this, well, you start to feel things like worry and anxiety, 
anger and frustration, loneliness, emptiness, and helplessness, just to name a few. And those are really heavy emotions. And they have lasting and damaging consequences. But if you had to take all the negative things that we've experienced and felt over the last few years, and if you had to summarize it all into one word, what word would you choose? I think there's one word that fits the bill. It's the word despair. Despair is defined as the complete loss or absence of hope. This could be the word of the year this year and for several years to come, right? Because we live in a world that's dark and it feels like it's getting darker. It's scary and it always feels like it's getting scarier. We wonder what's going to happen next. We live in a world that is swimming in despair. Today, we're going to wrap up our Christmas series that we've been talking about for these last few weeks. We've called it Travel Light. And in this series, we have been trying to identify heavy emotions and spiritual and and relational weights that God never intended for us to carry. And we want to learn how to let go of these things so we can learn how to travel light with God and experience the life that he has for us. And so today, we're going to learn how to let go of something like despair so we can learn to travel light with God. And since despair is defined as the loss or absence of hope, it seems fitting for us to turn our hope to the story of Christmas, the story of the arrival of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago when he was born as a human, but he came as, the, as God's long-awaited and promised Messiah. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got all the verses that you're going to need on the, on the screen. But just in case you're not familiar with the Bible, let me tell you how it's broken down because it's going it's to um, help us understand what's happening and what we're studying today. The Bible's broken down into two main parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written before Jesus arrived on the earth and predict his arri- predicted his arrival. And the New Testament was written after Jesus arrived, tells us about his life and predicts his second coming, okay? And so we're gonna be, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So we're, we're literally looking at the first words of the first chapter of the New Testament. And to fully appreciate the hope that's found in the story of Christmas, we're gonna take a brief look at the life of a man that I would argue is the second most important person in all of scripture. Now, I want you to think about this. Who do you think could be the second most important person in the entire Bible, second only to Jesus? Now, I asked my family this question and they shouted out all kinds of good answers. One of them said, it's gotta be Mary. Surely Mary's number two on Jesus's list. I mean, it's his mom after all. Who's more important than your mom? It's It's a pretty good guess. One of them said, well, Peter, right? Because when Jesus left to go back to heaven, he put Peter in charge. Or maybe it's Paul. He's the greatest Christian missionary of all time. Or maybe it's Moses. He's credited with writing the first five books of the Old Testament. And he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, right? All of those are good guesses. What about David? You know, the guy, the shepherd that that killed the giant and then became the greatest king in all of Israel's history? Well, none of those, I would argue, are the second most important person in all of scripture, but they're all connected to the guy that is. This is how Matthew begins his, his uh, story of Jesus's life, and he mentions this person by name. This is what he says in Matthew chapter one. These are the first words of the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, maybe you don't know much about Abraham and you're wondering, okay, well, who is this Abraham guy? And what would a guy like Abraham have to do with the story of Christmas? And what can we learn about hope from this guy, 
named Abraham? Well, I would argue we can learn a lot about hope from him. We, we first meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the first book of the Old Testament. And in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is 75 years old when God appears to him for the very first time. He's 75 years old and, and, and God says, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's household and I want you to go to a land that I'm gonna give to you. But that's not all. He says, Abraham, I am going to give you a family that will grow into a mighty nation. And oh, that's not, that, by the way, that's not all, Abraham. I'm gonna bless the entire world through your family. Now imagine how big and awesome that promise is. We see commercials on TV of people giving one another cars for Christmas. I've never lived in a family like that, but you see these, you're like, who, who are these people? Think of the gift that God is promising to give Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I'm gonna give you real estate. Who doesn't want the gift of real estate? And I'm gonna give you a huge influential family and the whole world will be blessed through your family. This is a pretty amazing promise, but there's just one really big problem for Abraham. We learn in Genesis 12 that he's old and his wife is old. And up to this point in time, they've not been able to have any children. So how are you, how are you supposed to have a family that's gonna become a mighty nation that's gonna bless the whole world if your wife is unable to have children? Now, all of that takes place in Genesis chapter 12. He's 75 years old. Let's fast forward 10 more years. In Genesis 15, Abraham, we learn, is 85 years old. He's moved to the land that God has told him to move into, but guess what? There's people there and they don't wanna leave without a fight. And oh yeah, by the way, 10 years later at age 85, his wife, Sarah, still has no children. Now I want you to imagine that you're Abraham. For 10 years of your life, late in your life, you have been following and trying to obey God, trying to go where he told you to go, trying to do what he's told you to do. And really, not a whole lot has changed. You don't have any children. You're, all, all that you have to show for it is that you've relocated a time or two. I think it's fair to say that Abraham and Sarah probably experienced some despair as they were waiting for God to keep this promise. And I know if I were Abraham, I would feel despair. And apparently Abraham was feeling some despair because in Genesis chapter 15, he cries out to God in despair. Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 15, verse two. He says, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? It's been 10 years, God. You gave me no children, so a servant in my household is gonna have to be my heir. I mean, essentially Abraham says, hey God, I don't wanna be pushy. But 10 years ago, you promised, you promised that if I moved to this place, you would give us children. Where are you? What, what exactly are you doing? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like despair to me. And who, who could blame him? I mean, he and his wife are old. They are past childbearing years. And from their perspective, to have a family at this point in time would seem impossible. There was no hope. There was only despair. But I want you to hear how God responds to Abraham in spite of his despair. Look at verses four and five. The word of the Lord came to Abraham and God said, your servant will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham cries out to God in despair, but Abraham's despair apparently didn't shake God because God not only affirms, hey, you're gonna have a child, but he says, you're gonna have a family 
that's going to be more numerous than all the stars in the sky. Now, what do you do if you're Abraham? You've been following and obeying for 10 years. You're 85 years old, but God's made this amazing promise that seems a little too good to be true, and you don't really have a whole lot to show for it. Wouldn't it be easy? Wouldn't it be easy to just give up on hope and give in to despair? And I think we've all found ourselves there before. Maybe some of us are there right now. Maybe some of you can relate to Abraham and Sarah. What you want more than anything is to have a family, to have children. But there's been a miscarriage or two, or you've been in a, uh, unable to get pregnant. My wife and I went through a season of this, and it is hard. It, it haunts you when you're living in that season. Or maybe you're a student, and you started the year with a glimmer of hope. And you thought, I, I think I can do this. I'm going to try really hard. But you put in all the work. And now that you're halfway through the school year, you are completely worn down. And it seems impossible just to get to the end of the year, much less thinking about graduation. Or this year, you were hopeful that you were going to meet someone. But now that the holidays are here and you're single, you just feel lonely and hopeless all over again. Maybe you're a single parent. And you are completely worn out. And you feel like you're just surviving moment to moment, day by day. You don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know how you're doing it now. You don't know how you're going to do it tomorrow. Or, or money is tied and you're, you're struggling to make ends meet. Your marriage feels like it's hanging on by a thread. Your kids are a mess. Your career is a dumpster fire. Or maybe it's those feelings of anxiety and doubt and fear that just follow you everywhere you go. And from where you stand, there is no hope. There is no hope. There's only despair. So what are you supposed to do? How can we let go of something like despair and find hope in God? How do you move forward? Well, look at what Abraham did. Look at verse six. God makes this amazing promise and Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Even though at this stage in Abraham's life, even though the timeline had been really wonky, even though he had been waiting for God to fulfill these promises, even though the outcome seemed impossible in that moment, Abraham chose to place his hope in God. And I want to say this. I don't think that Abraham was just a glass half full kind of guy. And I don't think his hope was in hope for the sake of hope. I think what we see here is that Abraham's hope for a better future was directly connected to his ability to trust God in that moment. Think about that. He trusted God for in the future. And he knew if I'm going to trust him later, I've got to learn to trust him right now. He's showing us what it means not only to believe in God, but to have our hope in God, even when things seem impossible. I like how John Piper defines biblical hope. He says this, biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, Biblical hope expects that it's going to happen. It not only expects that it's going to happen, it is confident that it will happen. Apparently, this is the kind of hope that Abraham was learning to put in God. In spite of how he felt, in spite of how desperate things around him seemed in the moment, Abraham was learning to put his hope in the God who spoke the entire universe into existence. He was putting his hope in the God who had appeared to him personally at a specific point in time. He was putting his hope in the God who was guiding him moment by moment, day by day, and in the God who was able to make some pretty amazing promises 
but to fulfill those promises right now and in the years to come. Now, Abraham's hope, his story of hope is inspiring to all of us. But here's the question. What does Abraham's hope and his story have to do with Christmas? Well, let's go back and see how Matthew started his account of Jesus's life. In Matthew chapter one, verse one, we read this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now it's interesting. Matthew begins his account of Jesus's life with the genealogy. And you can't have a genealogy without having a family tree to trace. And you can't have a family tree without having roots. Isn't it interesting that Matthew begins his account of Jesus's life as the son of God and the Messiah, the savior of the world. But he says, oh yeah, by the way, he traces his family line to a man named Abraham, as in Abraham, the guy in the Old Testament that God promised to give a family, but it seemed impossible at the moment. Matthew wants his readers to know that Abraham's story is directly connected to Christmas. And that means Christmas is a story of hope. I want you to think about this. Scholars believe that Abraham and Sarah lived roughly 2000 BC. So this was a hope that was given 2000 years before Jesus was born. But this was also a hope that was realized by Mary and Joseph on that first Christmas night in that lonely stable in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And it's a thrill of hope that still endures almost 2,000 years later. So here's the question. In light of the despair that we see and feel in our world, how can we let go of despair and learn to hold on to hope? Well, there's a few things that we can learn from Abraham's story. And I just want to give you a heads up on this. These things are not easy to do. But if we want to embrace hope, if we want to experience the hope that God promises to us, then apparently these things are necessary. The first step in learning to let go of despair and embracing hope is that we have to learn to walk faithfully with God regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of what is going on, we have to walk faithfully with God. That sounds fun, doesn't it? That sounds easy. Let's go back to Abraham's story. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was 75 years old when God promised to bless him and his wife with a son. Now, if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 21, we learn that Abraham was 100 years old when God allowed his wife Sarah to finally have a baby. That's 25 years of waiting and trusting and hoping in the face of a lot of despair. Abraham and Sarah, they were not spring chickens. In fact, I find it interesting that the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham, direct quote, Abraham was literally as good as dead. In Romans chapter four, Paul describes Sarah's womb saying Sarah's womb was dead. I mean, these are the writers of scripture and they say, you guys, it was hopeless. There was no hope. But in spite of that reality, Abraham faithfully walked with God throughout his circumstances. And he wasn't perfect. He didn't do it perfectly. And it wasn't easy. But eventually God provided Abraham and Sarah with the long awaited son that he had promised now, here's a question. Why would God allow these poor people to wait 25 years so late in their life to enjoy this promise? The promise of their only son. Now, I don't know the answer to that question other than to say, maybe God wanted it to be something that only he could get the credit for. 
Maybe he was doing something that was so spectacular. He said, I want people to know I have made a promise. I will fulfill a promise. And this is something only I can do. So this leads us to the next step in embracing hope. We have to learn to trust God to do what only God can do. Abraham and Sarah, this wasn't their plan to have a baby so late in life. But as it turns out, it was part of God's eternal plan. It was something that only he could accomplish. And Abraham and Sarah... They weren't the only people that God would say, hey, I need you to trust me to do something impossible. Because 2,000 years after they lived, we read in Luke's account of Jesus' story that an angel appeared to Mary and said these words, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's response back to this angel is, yeah, that sounds great, but how's that possible? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, hey, don't worry about it. God's got it under control. This is something only he can do and he's gonna do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So isn't it interesting that on, on several occasions, we see an older couple who can't get pregnant and God says, I'll take care of that. And he blesses them with the son. And then we see this young virgin who had never been with a man. And God says, I can do something about that. I'm gonna allow her to give birth to my son. Both of those things are only something that God can do. And both of them point to the hope of the Christmas story. So let's go back one more time to Genesis chapter 12. That first time that God appears to Abraham, he made three promises. I'm gonna give you a land for you and your family. I'm gonna give, fam- give you a family. You're gonna become a great nation. But the third promise was that the whole world is gonna be blessed through your family. Look at how Matthew speaks about this in Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is telling his readers, hey, I want you to know this. Jesus is one of the many sons that came in the genealogy of Abraham, but he's also the fulfillment of the original promise that God made to Abraham to bless the whole world through his family because he is the Messiah. Think of how long those years must have been for Abraham and Sarah. And when they died, they didn't see the fulfillment of God's promise. Were they tempted to walk in despair? Absolutely but they lived in hope. And what they didn't realize was God was gonna use a member of their future family to usher in peace and forgiveness and salvation. That's how God redeemed their years of despair. He said, I will fulfill my promise, not in your lifetime, but in the lifetime to come. So think about the despair that we walk in. What might God wanna do right now We might not get to be able to see the end of it, but what if we walked faithfully with him and we trusted him to do what only he could do so that in the future, he could fulfill a promise much greater than you and I could ever imagine. Abraham's story is a story of hope, but it's also a reminder that Jesus is our ultimate source of hope. Christmas is a time to celebrate the hope that we have that's only found in Jesus that he's come as our long-awaited promised Messiah. And Christmas is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to put that hope on display for all the world to see. A few months ago, our Noblesville student pastor, Jose Torres, 
had to relocate his family. He left our staff family and he went, he moved to Illinois to take care of his parents who were aging and they're, they're very sick. And he just felt like God was calling him to go and take care of them. And we miss Jose greatly. We're still in contact with him all the time. And not too long ago on social media, he posted a picture of his neighbor's house. This is his neighbor's Christmas decorations. I want you to see this. Now you can see, kind of see their house back here, right? These people love them some Christmas, but here's a better shot. This is from the sidewalk. Look at how tall those inflatables are compared to the people. These people have some serious Christmas spirit and they want everyone to know, but here's the problem. This is what this same house looks like during the day. Yeah, it just kind of doesn't have the same vibe, does it? Christmas is a time for us to celebrate and to announce the arrival of Jesus. But here's the problem. We walk in a world that is dark and filled with despair. And without the hope of Jesus, we are defeated and we are deflated. We don't have anything to share. But Jesus has come to give us hope. He has come to forgive our sins. He has come to give us a brand new life. The story of Christmas is that God's son was born as a human, just like me and you. He experienced all the hardships of life, but then 30 years later, he would die on a cross to pay for our sins. And three days after that, he rose from the dead to prove that he has the power to overcome despair and to give hope to everyone that would put their hope and their, their trust in him. We live in a world that's drowning in despair and we live in a world that is waiting for followers, as followers of Jesus to share the hope that is found in him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the story of Christmas. It's not just in a story, it's, it's a historical account. We're thankful for Abraham's story that was recorded for us in the book of Genesis, that we can see that you made a promise that seemed impossible to this couple. But in your faithfulness, you kept your promise. You gave them a son, but eventually you would allow a son to be born into their family line who would be your son, the Savior and the Messiah who has come to give us hope. Jesus, would you help those of us that walk with you today to celebrate that hope? Would you give us new, fresh eyes to see the Christmas story for what it is, your story of hope, your arrival of hope, Jesus? I also wanna pray for those that maybe they're, maybe they're hearing this story for the very first time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them, that they would hear your voice saying, come, come and find hope in the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior and our King. Jesus, we love you. Would you help us to worship you today and tomorrow and with the rest of our lives? Jesus, we love you and it's in your name that we pray.